I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed Podcast. And today we have a very interesting gentleman. He is a Harvard professor. His name is Dr. Avi Loeb. Welcome, Dr. Avi Loeb, to the show. How are you doing today, doctor? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, you have some very interesting things that you have to balance. You're being a Harvard professor and studying what you do and having the, I guess, gumption to put some narratives out in the world. You know, what what has drawn you to do this and put you in this position? You know, that's, there's a big balance there. Well, actually, I don't see it that way. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm just following my childhood curiosity. And I don't really care how many likes I have on Twitter. And I don't have any footprint on social media. I grew up on a farm as a young uh, kid and I haven't changed much. Uh, basically, um, you know, I'm just trying to follow what sounds like common sense. And the one thing that frustrated me as a kid was uh, being at the dinner table and asking a difficult question and then the adults in the room would uh, dismiss the question because they didn't know the answer and they would pretend that it's not important but uh, it was obvious to me that they are just uh, covering up the solution to this uh, frustration was to become a scientist where I can uh, get to the bottom of uh, the truth and just uh, do it myself by uh, looking for evidence and that's the way I see um, my career uh, right now uh, basically trying to collect the evidence that will guide us it's You know, it's a learning experience. Um, When you want to figure out nature, you have to listen to nature. You have to attend to it. It's a dialogue with nature. It's not just a monologue. You can't just imagine what gives you pleasure as if it's part of nature. That's what you do when you put goggles of the metaverse. You know, you just imagine some reality that doesn't really exist. But as a scientist, I'm really after the pimples on the face of reality. I want to see the way it is. I don't want any makeup. And you do it by paying attention to evidence. Now, when you say evidence, I was just in uh, Curacao, and and then I had another gentleman on my podcast yesterday, Mark Riviera, who's been Ringo Starr's music director for 40 years, right? And we're talking about vibrations. And if everything on earth starts with a vibration and grows from there, you say you take a minerals in Curacao, one of the densest minerals in the world. And it's a very interesting place in Curacao, the ABC Islands. There's no hurricanes, you know, around that area. And I just found it interesting that you found a very one of the densest minerals in the world in that location because there's no predators in that place, no sharks, no snakes. There's not really anything that could harm anybody in that area of the world. So if you start there, I don't know, I think there's something special there. If you start there and you go you go out and you have these minerals that change, have less density, obviously that's going to create another type of environment. And then you start other vibrations on top of that. What are your thoughts based on your studies and in, in vibrations and how they're linked together? So what I study is the sky. You know, I'm an astronomer and I try to learn from what we see in space. So uh, 
what you are referring to is what's here on the ground. You know, we find the earth to be, you know, the rock that we were born on, but there is much more out there. And that's my job as an astronomer to try and figure it out. And most recently, um, you know, over the past decade, we, we found the first objects that came into the solar system from outside. These are called interstellar objects. And I'm particularly interested in the possibility that some of them may be of technological origin because we send out uh, spacecraft to space and uh, it's possible that there are others, other civilizations around other stars that did the same. Mm -hmm. And the only way to find out if they sent equipment in our direction is to search for packages in our mailbox. Uh, and the reason I brought up vibrations here on Earth and you and you connect to the sky, you know, is this when you look at these things, is this a feel? That you have is this a calling that you have to to recognize these things and understand these things and kind of be a thought leader for that yeah i guess um you might look at it that way but it seems to me that the source of all evil that the reason that we are wasting a lot of time and resources here on earth is because you know we are focused on fighting each other i mean if you look at human history most of it is shaped by a group of people trying to feel superior relative to other people and, and the biggest expense uh, that you you see around the world is military budgets and defense related budget and that's a waste of time and energy trying to fight each other because i'm saying all of this is on the surface of earth or this rock that we were born on and there is much more out there in 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 space in the third dimension that you know that we could be looking for and just to give you an example if instead of investing all the funds that we do in the military if we were to allocate it to space exploration we could have sent probes to 200 million stars every year. I just did this calculation. And basically within several decades, we would, we would be able to send probes to all the stars in the Milky Way galaxy, billions of them. Just within a few decades, if we were to forget about fighting each other and if we were interested in exploring space. And my point is, if we are able to dream that, you know, then maybe some other civilizations before us did it already. And the, the way to find out is to use telescopes and look at the sky and try and find those objects that they may have sent. And we haven't done that. Um, so my calling is basically to say, look up. Okay, let's look up and learn something because maybe there were uh, other civilizations that are more intelligent than us and then we can learn from them. Uh, mm -hmm. The technologies that represent their objects may be far more advanced than we can uh, produce right now. And so it will be to our benefit to, to look around. What, what do you think about when you think about what you've discovered, you know, in some of these thought processes? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. That we've created because I, th- I think about unconscious bias. Uh, I wrote a book about how to eliminate unconscious bias, right? Because that's that's really the juggernaut of the universe, right? Yeah. And when so, you when you take that out of out of position, right? What do you think about consistency and how do we get people to relate to that and understand that and see it out front? The real problem, you know, we usually put blinders because we imagine what we already know. Then uh, we are not open to learn something new. And you see that a lot also in academia, you know, that people prefer to base their reputation, their um, stature on past knowledge, and they refuse to consider uh, new knowledge. And um, the same holds for, you know, these objects I was talking about, because the experts in the past, they worked on space rocks, you know, objects that are rocks that um, are the building blocks of planets like the Earth. And some of them were left over from the construction project of the solar system. And so we find rocks flying around from the solar system beginning. But the question is whether objects entering the solar system from outside are also just rocks. Maybe some of them are technological and just like the spacecraft that we launched. And, you know, that is not something that is entertained, considered, or even allowed by people who worked on on rocks throughout their life. And the way I think of this is, if you imagine a cave dweller, someone that used to live in a cave and play with rocks uh, all of his life, and suppose that person finds a cell phone. That person would say, it's a rock of a type that I've never seen before, shiny, and then throw it away. Uh, But if that person has a kid, the kid may be more curious. The kid may look at the cell phone, try to press some buttons and see what happens and realize that it's not a rock because it records his voice. He presses one button. And, And so my point is, when we become adults, we lose this uh, sense of curiosity, open-mindedness. And as a result, we don't discover as much as uh, mm-hmm. children do because we're not open-minded. You know, I try to maintain maintain my childhood curiosity. I, I'm not trying to uh, pretend that I know more than I actually know, and I'm not trying to ma- impress other people. I just try to figure out if there is something that looks unusual, um, just like the cell phone relative to a rock, I would, you know, try to figure out what it is by collecting more evidence. And that's what I'm doing. I have a a new project that uh, aims to find the technological gadgets in our sky that may have arrived here from another civilization. You know, and there's another side side of the coin of that. There's a lot of misrepresentations. How do you recognize a misrepresentation in what you do? Yeah. So, for example, there was the first object that was identified from outside the solar system was discovered by a telescope in Hawaii in 2017. And it was given the name Oumuamua because uh, that means a scout in the Hawaiian language. And uh, the one thing that was weird about it is that it didn't look like a comet because there was no tail of gas or dust around it. And a comet is basically a rock that is is covered with ice and the ice evaporates when it gets close to the sun. So you end up with a cometary tail. Uh, But there was nothing like that around this object called Oumuamua. You know, it was definitely not a comet, but it was 
something was pushing it, which was unclear. And I suggested that it's the reflection of sunlight that is pushing it, not cometary evaporation. But the reason I mentioned this is because just recently, a colleague of mine said that he wrote a review article about this object and he called it uh, the comet Oumuamua. And I said, what do you mean? Why do you call it the comet Oumuamua in your review article? Uh, because we both know that it was not a comet. We didn't see any cometary tail. And it's just like, uh, you know, this kid in Hans Christian Andersen's tale uh, who said that the emperor has no clothes. And I basically am saying that this object does not have any cometary tail. So just like you know, here the emperor is this object and the clothes are the cometary tail and you just tell the truth. So I, I just asked this person, why did you, why do you call it a comet? And obviously he's pretending that it's something familiar, even though it's not familiar. And uh, to me, it's just like going to the zoo and looking at an elephant and saying, well, that's like a zebra and uh, it shows its stripes when we look away maybe or something, uh, which is not a sincere representation of what we see. So I see that among scientists that uh, very often twist um, or, or mislabel what we see so that it will sound more familiar. More familiar. So it's, 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 it's almost um, a limitation, right? It's almost like we're stopping and don't right. want to dig deeper. Is that exactly. what it is? Exactly. It's um, because if you say there is nothing really unusual about it, if it sounds familiar based on the label that you give it, then there is uh, no need to be frustrated that there might be something that you don't understand. Uh, there was a lecture about this object, Oumuamua, at Harvard University. And when I left the auditorium, a colleague of mine said that Oumuamua is so weird. I wish it never existed. And you ask yourself, why would he say that? It's because uh, it, it sort of embarrasses um, an expert, the, the fact that this object is so unusual. Mm -hmm. And uh, I describe this object in my book, Extraterrestrial. I talk about it. But to me, uh, something unusual, uh, an outlier or something anomalous is actually an opportunity to learn something new. So I'm actually thrilled when there is something that we don't fully understand. It's an opportunity to learn something new. So for me, it's it's actually exciting. It's not the, I wish it never existed. When you t Well, you talk about something that's very um, interesting about the imagination. Would you try to restructure how kids are educated? Because it seems like these kids have these great imaginations before they start school. Then they, when they start school, they kind of lose that. Right. Right. How do we, how do we get a better position to educate our youth, you know, and start the right way? Yeah. We should encourage them to think independently. You see the, uh, what happens often in schools, also in uh, universities is that we indoctrinate them. And, you know, part of it is the teachers are trying to show off, you know, to say, we know a lot of things and you need to learn them this way. But in fact, if you look at the um, scientific discovery, it's very often, you know, driven by evidence for something unexpected. That's the source of all the discoveries. And what you want are people that are open-minded enough not to brush off something that looks different. Okay. And so you need to develop the sense of curiosity, the sense of wonder, the fact that, you know, if there is a kid that asks um, unusual questions in the class, you'd actually encourage that kid rather than discipline the kid. And um, what happened to me when I suggested that, for example, Oumuamua might be artificial in origin, I w there was a lot of pushback to that. And the biggest frustration that I have with that is that it's, it sends a signal to young scholars that they should not deviate from the beaten path. 
And mm-hmm. my point is that uh, taking the path that was not taken is actually very re- rewarding and it should be encouraged. You should actually reward creativity, reward innovation, reward those that do not take uh, the uh, the herd, the, the path of the herd and deviate from groupthink uh, because they are the ones to find something new that we will benefit from. Uh, but instead, that's not what is encouraged. Usually, it's those people that um, confirm what is already known that um, basically create those echo chambers of uh, the older people that uh, you know want to be approved and appreciated and so forth. But I say, I don't want to be appreciated. I just want to learn about nature, about reality. Let's just figure it out. And whoever is innovating and, and finding something new would be rewarded. That's the, the correct way of educating young people. And uh, I hope that it will change. And there was a foundation called the Brinson Foundation that decided to give me money for a postdoctoral fellowship that I will give to a young scholar because they said that was just half a year ago. And they said that we want you to mentor a young um, person so that young people will follow your footsteps and be innovative and uh, be encouraged to think differently because it's not very common, right? Well, you think that we've run out of narratives I think things have less value. We're not creating new value. Well, part of it is because, um, you know, social media driving people together, they think alike, they create these big uh, groups or bubbles where everyone thinks the same way. And if you deviate, then you get uh, bullied or, or intimidated. So part of it is this group thing that is encouraged by social media because everyone needs to be liked by the rest of the, the followers. And so people are trying to satisfy the will of other people rather than thinking independently. So that's part of it. And, you know, to me, uh, it's all about finding out new knowledge. That was the, my driver. And uh, that's what I see my goal is in life, you know, learning something new that nobody else did uh, find before. And the best way to find it is by looking for low-hanging fruit. And mm-hmm. you can find low-hanging fruit only if in a path that was not taken, because if the path was taken by a lot of people, all the low-hanging fruit was taken by now, was picked up. So uh, that's why I take the path not taken. When you discover these things and you understand how we live our lives here, and, and when I said at the top of the show about balance, you know, I, I think about, all right, Harvard professor, you know, there's a lot of, you know, things you have to deal with. There's like the administration and so forth. And you think about spirituality. When you think about like spirituality, what kind of thoughts are you in your head based on what you know is here when you discover stuff that may be extraterrestrial? What does that do to your psyche? Right. So I think there is something in common between uh, the frontier of science that is creative, innovative, and so forth, and spirituality, because uh, both of them are exploring the unknown. Spirituality is exploring the unknown, and in the frontiers of science, you do the same. And also in exploring space, you don't know what lies out there and you just you're trying to figure it out and uh, i'll give you a few examples um, 90 years ago there was an astronomer called fritz wiki in 1933 that realized that most of the matter in the universe is dark and we can't see it and it's of a different type than the, the matter that we are familiar with that we are made of that everything in the solar system that we see is made of and so he called it dark matter and by now it's accepted that most of the matter in the universe is dark and it's not something we can see and therefore it's not the same material that we are made of. We don't know what it is. Now, I say the same thing about 
these objects, you know, over the past decade, we discovered the first interstellar objects, objects that are coming from outside the solar system into the solar system. One of them was Oumuamua that I mentioned before. Two others were meteors that I discovered with my student. And they also looked uh, very unusual in material strength. They were tougher than iron when they exploded in the Earth atmosphere. And so um, we don't know what they are. And it looks like objects flying into the solar system appear to be unusual relative to the rocks that we had seen before in the solar system. So I say, you know, there is something to be learned from that. But my colleagues are saying, no, these are natural objects. These are uh, rocks of a type that we've never seen before. Just the same response as the cave dweller was would make in response to a cell phone. You know, it's a rock of a type that we've never seen before. Very often they say, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And I say, you know, extraordinary evidence requires extraordinary funding. Uh, it's a circular argument to say, you know, we don't have extraordinary evidence, therefore we should not engage in the study of this thing because you will never get, you will never find wonderful things if you're not searching for them. So you need to invest in the search before you have the extraordinary evidence. So saying we don't have extraordinary evidence and therefore this extraordinary claim is unjustified, is incorrect. We, we have some preliminary intriguing evidence and we should get the extraordinary evidence by putting money into the search. And, you know, it's very possible that um, in the coming years, and I, I was, um, I received some funds uh, as a result of my book, Extraterrestrial. People came to me and provided me with seed funding for my research. And uh, it's possible we will um, be able to, find that evidence and uh, that would be extremely exciting and what what is the what is the goal of your book from a personal standpoint well first of all to make the point that you know for 70 years we've been searching for radio signals as a signature of other civilizations and that's just like being at home and waiting for a phone call but there is another method this method you, you need someone to call you you need uh someone to transmit a signal in your direction when you are listening to it. And if they transmitted a signal a billion years ago, it's now a billion light years away. It's not, you will never notice it. And so uh, there is another method, which is to search your mailbox for any packages that may have accumulated there. And for that, the sender may be dead by now. Who cares? But the packages arrive to your mailbox. So it's a very different search method. And all the chemical rockets that we sent out to space, uh, they are gravitationally bound to the Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy. So they are sort of collected over billions of years and we can just look for them. I established a new project called the Galileo Project that will uh, search for technological objects near Earth. And that's what we are doing. We have a, a new observatory that we just uh, constructed and is starting to collect data. And we also plan an expedition to scoop the ocean floor for the fragments of uh, the first interstellar meteor from 2014 that fell near Papua New Guinea. And the hope is that we will be able to tell what it was made of, uh, whether it was a natural object like a rock or maybe a spacecraft that collided with Earth from another civilization. I talked to an astronaut, Terry Virts, and we were talking about space, space trash. Oh, and we're talking about there's a few, you know, there's a few cowboys, uh, you know, in the game, and you think there needs to be more regulation, and are, are, are these cowboys out there, are they, they doing the right thing by humanity, or what do you think about that? Well, the, the space trash that you are referring to is uh, debris of um, equipment that we sent around 
uh, into an orbit around the Earth. Okay, so we keep polluting the vicinity of the Earth with all kinds of technological gadgets, satellites moving around, and and that's a danger because if something like if an object like that hit, hits, a, for example, a communication satellite or telescope that we build, then it will damage it. So what you want is to get rid of that, that uh, trash, after, you know, somehow collect it or bring it into the atmosphere so that it will burn up. And it's a serious problem. There are lots of objects out there that we launch. Now, what I'm talking about are objects launched by other civilizations that fill, fill up the space between stars. You know, they, mm-hmm. they go across the entire Milky Way. At uh, night, you can see all the stars above, and um, some of them are really far away. The nearest star is four light years away. It takes four years for the light from that star to reach us. That's the nearest star. And uh, there are many stars that are thousands of times farther away, just within the Milky Way galaxy, and stars that are billions of times uh, farther away that are, you know, at the edge of the universe. And we see them with telescopes. And so the question is, there are so many stars, you know, like more uh, than the number of grains of sand on all beaches on Earth. And then you ask yourself, is it possible there was another civilization before us, you know, billions of years ago that sent probes into interstellar space that could have arrived to us by now? And uh, it's not a philosophical question. We can answer it by searching. And uh, that's what I'm trying to do. And of course, it will change everything because it's just like finding a partner, uh, you know, through a dating uh, site. I mean, you can stay at home and not look out the window and claim that you're single and and ask, where is everybody? Uh, That's what uh, uh, Fermi, Enrico Fermi, a very famous uh, physicist asked. He said, where is everybody? Uh, And um, it's just like a lazy uh, single that is not willing to go out to the street and, you know, into dating sites and and find partners. And we haven't done that. Uh, We haven't searched for other civilizations like us. We we may not be alone. And that's what I'm uh, proposing, that if we find evidence for a partner, then it would change everything. We could learn about our future, you know, we could learn from them and build new technologies. There is a lot to be learned. Well, well, you think of hierarchy, right? Like what what's going on up there? Who's good? Who's bad? You know, if if the great flood was when the darkness started, how the cards cut up there? Yeah, we we don't so, know any of that, right? No, we don't. And when you talk about the great flood, we know the story of uh, Noah's ark that uh, tried to escape, you know, to to save some animals in an ark that he built. That was Noah in the biblical story. And you can think about the same thing here on Earth. That you know, the conditions of on Earth could deteriorate uh, very quickly. I mean, we know that Earth uh, in the past, you know, went through what is called the snowball phase, where the entire Earth was frozen some 500 million years ago. And the, we also know that meteors uh, impacted the Earth. One of them 66 million years ago killed the dinosaurs, you know, a big rock the size of Manhattan Island. So there are all kinds of catastrophes that can happen on Earth. And you don't want humanity to be uh, demolished with a catastrophe like that. And uh, the only way to save it is to make uh, humanity a multi-planet species or a multi-star species, if you want. And we need to go to space for that. If you think about it, it's just like um, the Gutenberg printing press. You know, the before the printing press was invented, there were a limited number of copies of, of the Bible and they were all handwritten. And if something bad happened to them, then the content would not have been preserved. But once the printing press 
was invented, then it made a lot of copies of the Bible. So then the content had a smaller chance of being uh, eliminated. And so the same thing, if we go to many places and not just stay on earth, you know, we can preserve humanity because um, if something bad happens on earth, then we will still have copies in other locations. What do you think about, can you relate what you do to climate change? Do you think we're kind of short-sighted with that? Maybe we should be at your realm of process. The climate change situation could be a couple levels up. I guess, to your world. Is there an opinion on that at all? Well, one thing to keep in mind is no matter what we do about climate, you know, how much we mitigate the climate change in the short term, in about a billion years, the sun will basically burn up the surface of the earth. All the oceans will be boiled off because the sun will become hotter. And in fact, the sun started at the beginning being roughly a third fainter than it is now. So the early Earth was most likely to be frozen. There were circumstances that allowed it to keep itself warm. But in the future, a billion years from now, the Earth would lose its liquid water because the sun will basically boil off all the oceans on Earth. So what I'm saying is in the long run, it doesn't really matter what we do in the long run, Earth will not be a good place for us to stay on. Uh, of course, it will take a long time before that happens uh, as a result of the sun. But in, in before that, there could be meteor impacts. We could uh, change the climate. Uh, so the question is, how can we venture to space so that we preserve ourselves and not be so sensitive? I mean, we're just born on this rock that happens to be at a certain distance from the furnace. The sun is a nuclear reactor and, you know, we shouldn't take it as if that's a verdict that we have to stay on that rock next to that furnace at the same distance. We can move away, especially because the furnace will change the amount of heat that it gives us. And the going to space, in my mind, is is the next frontier. And the sooner we realize it, the better, because we can start moving in that direction. Now, you may say, okay, well, there are issues that we need to solve first here on Earth. I say we are wasting so much money on fighting each other. You know, like if we were to dedicate that to exploring space, that is enough. And we talk about, you know, if you want to go to the core foundation and we talk about racism, right? And if people realize that skin color was environmental, yeah. Why do we have these issues? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's skin deep also. That's the other thing. that it, It's superficial to argue that humans are different depending on that thing. And moreover, what I say is if we find the intelligence that is far more superior to us, like finding a smarter kid in our class, then all of our differences would look meaningless. You know, And at that point, we should all treat uh, each other as equal members of the human species because there is something far more advanced than all of us. I mean, the reason that uh, you, you know some groups of people try to feel superior relative to others is because they don't think of anything else. They just, you know, invent uh, ideas that here on earth, the, this kind of people are better than other people. But if you find that there are species out there in interstellar space that are far more advanced than we are, then all of our differences will become meaningless. That's something I question all the time. I think a lot of these answers are right in front of us. How do we get people to not live in the middle and really dig into the foundation? How do we, yeah, how do we I, get people to do that? I think it's very simple. You just need to give them uh, some inspiration. So most of the time, you know, you hear comments that are depressing. Like if you open the news, then what all you hear about is the war in Ukraine. I mean, these are depressing events. Nobody's 
benefiting from it. And at the very best, one side will get a little more land and so what. And, and so many people are suffering. And you just think about it, it's a lose-lose situation. And many of the things you see in the news are lose-lose. Uh, whereas if we all work together towards a better future, just constructively, rather than fighting each other, rather than trying to feel superior to each other, you know, we can do so much better. And it's really important to be inspired by something. And I say, you know, the most inspiring thing for me is thinking about space. And just because there is so much out there, more than we have here on Earth, you know, in general, it's um, trying to, to work together rather than fight each other. I think that is the most uplifting thing that person can do. Now, we are not hardwired for that because, um, you know, we grew up in natural environments. We came from the jungles and, and there you had the uh, finite resources. There was a finite amount of food that nature gave us. There was a finite amount of territory and we had to fight for it. And it's a zero sum game where if you gain a little bit and the other side loses. But by now we invented science and technology where everyone wins. You know, when, when you discover some new knowledge that is used for technologies, everyone benefits. So it's not as if there is a zero-sum game. It's actually an infinite sum. Everyone can benefit from sharing the knowledge, working together. So what I'm saying is we haven't evolved from the time that we were in the natural habitat where we had to fight for limited resources. We have to think that let's work together. Let's use science and technology to have a better quality of life so that everyone will be happy instead of causing misery all the time the way it was it was done for centuries you know we haven't caught up with that let me ask this is just a contrast i thought of you think we're putting uh too much effort into artificial intelligence right so based on what you're saying if if we're spending all this money here that's ego driven to try to figure out the the wave of ai and and we're putting all this effort if you took that same money and put it into maybe your efforts you may be ahead of the curve because the ai we're developing here right could be behind the curve right if the efforts aren't discovered properly does that make sense yeah it could be behind but i don't see ai as a threat i think it will help us actually and just like you know in principle self-driving cars you know they they might have a fewer rate of accidents than cars driven by humans okay just because for a simple reason that you know if another car um, passes by in your lane an alpha male car driver would get upset as if that's a personal insult a self-driving car will not take it personally it could be that ai systems will help us uh, avoid the issues we have with our ego and that is true also in the politics you know instead of us getting upset about another nation doing something and going to war maybe if policy makers will consult the uh, you know ai um, algorithms that take into account all the data that there is and give sort of uh, advice based on that that is not uh, driven by emotions maybe then the world will have fewer wars i don't know just like the self-driving car will have fewer accidents so i don't see ai necessarily as the negative I, I see it as a positive development but all I'm saying is that another civilization could have actually developed things that are even better than we are imagining right now. And so let's just try and learn from them. Avi, and we've been on here a minute. What is, what's your, what would be your ultimate achievement 
or in the next three, four years for you? So we are planning to go on an expedition to Papua New Guinea and uh, collect the fragments from the first interstellar meteor. And just imagine if we find some gadget on the ocean floor that represents technologies far beyond what we possess. And I promised the curator of the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, uh, Paula Antonelli, that if we find something like that, I'll bring it for exhibit, for display uh, in the museum because it represents modernity for us. Even though the sender, it may represent ancient history for the sender. So for me, the biggest accomplishment would be to find, beyond any reasonable doubt, some evidence that we are not alone and that, in fact, we are not the smartest uh, kid on the block. Well, you know, who's hiding what? I mean, do we not already have some evidence? I mean, you know, why don't we want to be forthcoming and just say, hey, this is it? You know, there is some discovery here. We've been talking about what we're not discovering, but there is a lot of discovery there that we're not acknowledging. Why is that? Yeah, okay. So it's possible the U.S. government has some interesting data, but it's classified. The most interesting data is classified, so we don't see it, the public. I didn't see it. People that saw it, politicians, directors of national intelligence, they say that it's intriguing. I haven't seen it. Uh, and so I don't know. It's possible that they are keeping it secret because they want to keep the sensors that um, discover those things uh, secret. So um, my point is, instead of waiting for the government to declassify information, we can just collect it ourselves. And that's what I'm doing in my research program and um, with the Galileo project that I'm leading. And um, it's possible that what you're saying is correct, that there is some data, but it's classified behind the national security fence. If we want to find this book, what, where do we find this book? So Extraterrestrial is available um, everywhere, um, Amazon. And it was translated to 25 languages. It came out um, about two years ago. And my next book is uh, coming out in August 2023. So about half a year from now, it's called Interstellar. But what I talked about in our conversation is um, mostly about Oumuamua, the first interstellar object that was found, and that is in my first book, Extraterrestrial. So I would recommend you can just check out that first book to sort of get a teaser for the second book that will come out in August. Now, Avi, you have kids? Married? I have two daughters, yes, and I'm surrounded by women. I, I had two sisters when I grew up, and, and now I have two daughters. And you're not that very smart at home. <laughs> <laughs> My, my role at home is to clean the dishes. That's my duty. And, uh, you know, I'm very proud of my daughters because sometimes, you know, I don't fully understand them, but they are very smart. And so I always believe that the future will be better than the past. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some um, there's some kids. I think there's too much information out there on the ground. that's okay. diluting a lot of minds and hopefully, you know. The daughter, your daughters, my daughters and all that. There's this generation that's going to realize that and, you know, change some things, you know, because yeah. I think I do think we are at a point with social media and everything where people have reacted enough. They've they've seen all the, the, the mundane type of content. You know, the tone of communication is is going to be done through content. And I think 
that content is going to have to improve across yeah. the board. You know, uh, the one reason I take the path that was not taken in trying to seek uh, to search for uh, technological relics from other civilizations as a scientist uh, is because a few years ago, my parents passed away and I realized, you know, we live for such a short time. Let's focus on substance, on the content. Let's not try to show off, to get likes and so forth. So that's what I'm trying to do. You know, that this is, in my mind, it's the most inspiring question we have. Uh, are we alone? Uh, and by the way, um, you know, uh, a few months ago, I, I attended a forum in Las Vegas that was organized by the International Women's Forum. And, and uh, I, when I entered the hotel in Las Vegas, uh, there were some participants from the conference who asked me, who am I? And I said, I'm here to, for the session about are we alone? And I said, that's not uh, a question from a dating site that actually a question for humanity are mm -hmm. we alone and uh, it was a very good session i was uh, in front of 800 women uh, all very accomplished brilliant uh, so i enjoyed it a lot and i think the most inspiring question that humanity can ask and then if we get a positive answer that we are not alone, that uh, there is a partner out there that we can learn from, you know, that will change everything. It, I think it, it will inspire us to be better. Well, Avi, I think I'm inspired. I mean, uh, you definitely have a very clean take, a very direct take on, you know, your specialty. And, you know, I, I hope everything comes to light. You know, I think we have to have these thought leaders like yourself to go out there and be bold and get it done. You know what I mean? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And I hope that within a year, I will have something new to report um, about the things I discussed. Great, great. We'll, have, we'll, we'll check back in with you in about 12 months. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thanks for coming on. This has been uh, Dr. Avi Loeb, professor from Harvard University. And I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So, for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.